Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent. Podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. During this special episode of Founder Series, we're sitting down with Beth Zonis, Senior Director at the CleanTech Open Nordis Chapter, and four of the finalists for the 2022 program. The CleanTech Open is considered the world's oldest and largest CleanTech accelerator, providing entrepreneurs and technologists the resources needed to launch a successful CleanTech company. This was the second time we had Beth and the winners of the CleanTech Open Nordis chapter with us on the show. And it was great to learn about the new companies going through the program and hear about their journeys and startups, their challenges and market potential. During the episode, we will hear from each of those incredible founders and how you can get involved in their exciting innovation to fight climate change. We will start with John Ireland, founder and CEO of NTP Technologies, a startup aimed at reducing and eliminating synthetic nitrogen fertilizer providing farmers cleaner and greener alternative that is organic, cold-free, and produced on-site and on-demand. Then, Ian McHenry, Senior Research Scientist at ItNano, a startup focused on advanced manufacturing of energy storage material aimed at producing creating more energy and carbon-efficient cathode for batteries. 
following by Bodan Radjeko, CEO of Kasava Engineering, a startup that has created a more powerful and efficient transmission that allows smaller engines to perform as well as larger engines and reduce greenhouse gases. Finally, Skylar Bagdon, CEO of Verde, a startup that has developed solar panels that are 10 times lighter in weight and more flexible than currently available rooftop panels. Beth, John, Jan, Bodan, and Skylar, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. We are super happy to have you here with us today for this new episode of our founder series. As last year, it's going to be a bit of a special episode, a quick pitch format uh, in collaboration with uh, CleanTech Open Nordisk chapter and with Beth uh, Zonis, who is here, and four incredible uh, finalists and founders of the program 2022. So already to all of you guys, congratulations. Uh, very exciting to uh, hear your story. And let's start with the show. So first, we're going to start with uh, Beth, who's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, the CleanTech Open. Beth, can you please give us a 30-second introduction? Sure. Thank you, Guillaume. And it's always so much fun to have everybody here together to um, really celebrate all of our startups who have done an incredible job this year. And we wish them all great success as they um, as they launch their businesses. Um, Cleantech Open is a national accelerator, and I run the Northeast region for Cleantech Open. We call it Cleantech Open Northeast. It's run by NECEC, the Northeast Clean Energy Council in in the Northeast region. And the Northeast in our definition goes from Eastern Canada, um, Maine, South through Pennsylvania. So we cover nine states and people also come from outside of our region in order to participate and grow their, re their businesses in our region. The program is like a mini MBA with lots of mentoring, expert mentoring, lots of professional connections and introductions as well as um, as well as the opportunity to get one-on-one -on -one coaching from a variety of experts in the industry. And um, there's an online curriculum, cash prizes at the end, introductions to various types of investors, and um, we don't take equity. So <clears throat> the startups are are um, really just just with us during that um, five and a half months, and then, we try to stay in touch and we hope that we will stay in touch, especially with, um, with these four who are really on the road to great success. So I heard it's a, it's a long story already, the, the, the CleanTech Open and started out of uh, MIT. Can you tell us a bit more about like this uh, initial journey? Uh, and uh, maybe now you can tell us like really who should come to, uh, to pitch you guys and how should, be, uh, should we apply successfully to, uh, to join this, uh, this, the program? Of course, yes. So CleanTech Open started in 2005 at MIT. It was a spin out from the MIT Enterprise Forum and the original name was Ignite Clean Energy. In 2006, a similar group formed in the Bay Area. And in 2011, we merged as CleanTech Open. In 2014, NECEC took over the Northeast region. So that's very quick, very quick history. In terms of what we're looking for, we look for what we call emerging clean tech startups, which could be really the clean tech part of it is really anything that satisfies an, an environmental need or provides an environmental benefit. So it could be 
a product, a service, a business model, or some combination of those. In terms of the emerging part, it's typically pre-seed, pre-customer. So we're looking for people who really need that, um, that extra oomph um, to build their uh, build the business foundation of their um, of for their venture, <laughs> and people who have, you know, who are solving a real problem. So we look at market solution and team. Are they solving a problem that really needs to be solved? Do they have a solution that looks like it can work? And does the team look like they can really pull this off and attract other team members, partners, and uh, funders, and of course customers. So I'd like to quickly double click on the, what you, you mentioned. So I'd like to understand how do you guys, uh, you know, measure impact? Do you have any special, uh, specific criteria maybe uh, in terms of like uh, CO2 removed or social impact? Uh, I mean, do you rely on a, on a specific process or a framework or maybe scientists to, uh, to, to, to gauge that? Uh, how does it work? you found one of my favorite topics um, is impact. We love to talk about impact, impact in terms of how well our, cust our, uh, our alumni are doing, but also um, how much, um, well, let me give you some statistics. We, we have been measuring this um, and recently we came up with some really impressive numbers. Since 2005, um, from 2005 to 2022, just in the Northeast, Northeast region, we have 555 startups that we've trained. We know that 71% of them are still active. And that includes 14, at least 14, I think there may be more, but at least 14 successful exits. And so those are some pretty meaningful numbers. 71% is significant. That is way above the industry average. Um, and, uh, and then we also look at how well they're doing in terms of funds raised, how many people they're employing, and how much revenue they're generating, and I can give you those numbers too. So um, they have raised $1.05 billion plus, we believe, um, collectively. They are earning over $486 million per year and they are employing over 3,100 people. So those are statistics about how they're doing. The other thing that we are tracking, and this is something that I love to talk about is the environmental impact. All of our startups in the Northeast region are expected to go through an exercise that we call greenhouse gas emissions reduction potential. And we have the aggregate numbers from last year's cohort we, they estimated that they would take the equivalent of 22 million cars off the road. And that is equivalent to 101 million metric tons of CO2 equivalent per year when they're at scale. So this is a future, um, a future projection, but pretty, quite significant. That's exciting. Congratulations to uh, all of those founders and all the, the organization, the staff that have been uh, supporting them, especially at the early stage, which is uh, the stage where you need the, the most of, uh, you know, of, of everybody to, uh, to go to the next step. So maybe last question for, for us and for the audience, like uh, when is the next batch and when can we start to apply? 
<laughs> Great question. So in terms of the next uh, the next batch, so to speak, so the next cohort will be in in 2023 and we will open up applications at the end of January and we are we are almost ready. So um, keep an eye out for on cleantechopen.org for that. Um, I also want to mention one other thing when it comes to statistics and I don't know if um, if this is something that, um, I assume your audience would find really interesting is that we also, when we look at trends, we have noticed that of the top 10 startups that have graduated from our program throughout the, the decades, um, the top 10 who have raised the most funding are led by either a woman or a minority. So that is really significant. And this is a really significant thing to point out, especially in this day and age when we're all thinking about how do, how do diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice play into um, the, the, the climate economy and how can all of us make a difference? And what we're finding is that diversity makes a difference and we are training all of our startups to, um, to think about this and also, um, to make sure that as they grow their teams, they are building their teams with, with more diverse um, people. And it should really help to make a huge difference in their, their productivity. Uh, thank you so much, Beth, uh, for uh, you know, introducing uh, the, the, the program and uh, all this uh, amazing work that uh, you guys are doing. It's time, uh, I think, uh, now to jump in into the, the quick uh, quick pitch format. Uh, we're going to start with uh, NTP and, uh, and John, uh, who is uh, here with us. So, John, uh, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. How are you today? Pretty good. Welcome to the show. So, uh, as I was mentioning before, we'd love to hear a 30-second introduction about uh, NTP, uh, the problem that you're solving, and for who. Sure. Uh, my name is John Ireland. I'm the CEO of NTP Technologies. Uh, NTP Technologies is uh, producing a nitrate generator that produces on-site, uh, on-demand fertilizer as a substitute for synthetic fertilizers. Synthetic fertilizers uh, produce about one and a half to three percent of the greenhouse gas emissions in the world, and we're looking to reduce that dramatically over the next 10 or 12 years. Um, our current uh, customers are uh, what we call future farmers which are vertical farmers, as well as uh, hydroponic and indoor growers. Uh, and the problem we're trying to solve is their ability to actually fertilize with something other than synthetics. So can you tell us a bit more about like uh, the genesis of, uh, of, your, of your journey with uh, NTP technology? Like uh, uh, why did you start it and, and, and how, and what was the initial solution that, uh, that you, you found that was uh, filling this uh, initial gap uh, that you had? Sure. Um, a couple of years ago, actually, I started a uh, hydroponic farm. We actually grow basil down in Maryland. And I found one of the issues was uh, nutrient mix and actually trying to provide a, uh, a suitable uh, nutrient that didn't seem to be, uh, it was a little cleaner and more uh, eco-friendly. And uh, there wasn't really anything out there that we could use for our tables. So we started looking to other technologies and we found a technology from 1910 uh, called the Berkelinide process. And we're actually taking that and bring it into the 21st century using modern technology in order to improve its uh, efficacy and production. So can you tell us, and you, you already mentioned that a little bit in the, in the intro here, but like uh, uh, 
Uh, what is the, the, the current market? I mean, it sounds that you guys are targeting uh, vertical farming. Uh, where are we at today? And what's the projection for uh, the next uh, uh, maybe five, 10 years from now? Like, how do you see this, uh, this market trends and uh, how do you guys fit into that? Sure. So right now, uh, the fertilizer, synthetic fertilizer market is about $200 billion a year worldwide. Our, our current target market, uh, which again is the future farmers, they're a little over $2 billion just in here alone in the United States. Uh, we do see that uh, it, it, since we're targeting the vertical farmers, they're growing probably about somewhere between 15 and 20% per year, year over year. People are concerned about food security. They also want to see their food production uh, be a little more local as opposed to relying a lot on imports. Uh, the other thing is synthetic fertilizer is actually produced using natural gas and natural gas prices are actually uh, been just ever increasing lately. Uh, plus the, uh, the unfortunate war in, uh, in Ukraine is causing uh, fertilizer production uh, to be scarce and, and unavailable to a lot of countries. So can you tell us a bit more about like uh, in terms of uh, you know, your technology readiness? I mean, are you guys able to uh, flood the market today? I mean, where are you at in terms of like uh, the, the, the prototype? Uh, are you already like in, in pilot project with uh, Different farms. I mean, if you could like tell the audience where we are uh, in the in the journey. I know that uh, all of you guys are in the early phase of it, but uh, where are you at today, and what needs to happen uh, to go uh, a bit uh, more mainstream? I would say. Sure. So right now we actually have a uh, what we're calling our lab model, which is about the size of a microwave. It produces enough fertilizer for approximately. Uh, two acres of uh, equivalent equivalent acres, we call it because it's internal far uh, indoor farming. Um, and our next generation, we're looking at producing a machine that probably produces uh, around 100 equivalent acres. Uh, we're looking for funding for that next generation machine, even though we have designed it already. And we're currently in two pilot programs with our lab size machine. So last question on, on, on my side, uh, I would ask like uh, a little bit in terms of um, go-to-market strategy and commercialization, like uh, uh, what is your, your advantage compared to the, the competition and how do you see uh, your next steps in that sense to uh, uh, when you're going to have like the, the larger uh, production facilities, like uh, when do you think you're, you're going to be able to, uh, to go out of that uh, pilot phase, I would say. Sure. So, uh, you know, Things take a while to grow, so testing takes a little, little bit of time. Um, and uh, we are, uh, the two pilots right now are in process. We expect them to be done within the next month or so. Uh, we're also expecting to, well, once we get funding, we're looking at generating the next machine, probably take about six or eight months to get that machine up and running. Uh, we have a couple of customers that are interested in working with us uh, going forward. Uh, so that, that kind of gives us a little bit of a timeline. Uh, so we expect within a year we'll be sort of available for, larger commercialization and starting to bring on full-time paying customers. So stepping back uh, prior joining the, uh, the the program of, uh, of CleanTech Open, I mean, what was like maybe like uh, the, the challenges that uh, you guys uh, faced at the beginning of the of that journey with, um, uh, with the CleanTech Open and what in a way this, uh, uh, the program uh, maybe like helped you to uh, to overcome or uh, to really like uh, go to the to the next step. Do you have like any experience that you could share with uh, with the audience regarding the your journey uh, within a program as a founder? Sure. So at the beginning, even the, the first year or two of any kind of uh, new technology is a lot in the thinking, developing, trying to find markets, trying to figure out what the customers want, doing customer discovery. Uh, but you're kind of doing it a little haphazardly. Uh, once you, we joined the clean tech, we had a lot more focus on where our 
customers might be. We had a lot more uh, push, you could say, from our mentors to give us the ability to uh, really push ourselves as well and think outside the box. Sometimes you get a little close to these types of uh, developments and you want to have some outside input. And mentors really provide really good outside input to kind of help you think a little differently about what you're doing. So what's next for uh, NTP technology? Uh, right now, uh, since uh, we were at the, uh, the Nationals uh, a couple of weeks ago, since then we've been talking a lot with uh, several different investors, uh, a couple of partners. Uh, we're looking to continue on our, uh, our pilot testing and our development of our next uh, machine. Uh, however, we are looking for uh, a couple of individuals, uh, somebody maybe a chief science officer, uh, someone in uh, manufacturing, has got some years of experience in manufacturing, uh, as well as a top-notch salesperson uh, in the fertilizer industry. They would all be great. Of course, we're always looking for, uh, for money and partners as well, and uh, also pilot projects. If there are people out there who have uh, vertical farms or you know, are listening in and want to test out our product, or you know, please give us a call, get in touch with us. We'll be happy to set up and discuss you what your needs might be. Thank you so much, John. Anything that I should have uh, asked you, I didn't uh, for this uh, uh, pitch. Um, not really. I mean, we are trying to make a cleaner and greener world by uh, you know doing like one drop at a time. We got to start somewhere, and the synthetic fertilizer market is definitely a a big uh, big nut to crack in the world. Uh, you got to remember that without synthetic fertilizer today, half the population would starve. So we can't just stop producing it. So we got to find alternatives. And we're, we're also very big proponents of others, things like regenerative farming, uh, increased soil health, increased microbial content, all, all things like that that help us uh, farm in a more sustainable way. Thank you so much, John. Uh, it was uh, super interesting and exciting to hear what you are doing and uh, all the progress that uh, you have been uh, doing. So uh, I know that you have to go, so I will let you, uh, let you go. And uh, maybe we can uh, then move on with uh, It Nano and Jan, uh, who is here as well. Are you ready, Jan? Yeah. Hey, how's it going? I'm uh, Ian McHenry with, with Hit Nano. <laughs> Nice to meet you, Yeah, and super excited to hear more about you. So as uh, we asked uh, prior to, um, to the, the other founder, uh, I mean, give us a 30 second introduction about uh, 8 Nano, what's the problem that uh, you're solving and uh, for who it is. Yeah, so uh, Hit Nano is a advanced, uh, manufacturer, advanced manufacturer for energy storage materials. We have a particular focus on cathodes for lithium and sodium ion batteries. Uh, so talking to battery and cell manufacturers, uh, cathodes are kind of a central driver and what they need are high energy density cathodes that have low cost and low environmental footprints. So we've developed a new manufacturing technology, which lets us cut the energy input and carbon emissions to make these materials by half while still delivering uh, a state-of-the-art uh, energy density cathode. So can you tell us a bit more about like, how did you uh, start the, the, the company in that journey? I mean, uh, what was the initial, uh, you know, uh, challenge or gap that you, that you saw that brought, uh, you know, you to, the, to that journey and starting the, the first prototype and uh, where are you at uh, today? Yeah, so the company started uh, and was spun out of a lab at Princeton University um, in the, the uh, engineering department. Um, and so uh, we developed uh, a, a new uh, way which cuts down the 
uh, production time to make these materials by 90%, significantly consolidating most of these steps into uh, a single short processing step. Uh, this technology also enabled this unique chemistry, which allowed us to incorporate these protective in-situ coatings to uh, make more stable, higher energy density cathode materials. Um, and so we saw that that was um, a need in the market, especially as, uh, especially with uh, recent onshoring efforts, um, making materials in the best, most uh, sustainable ways possible. And that is a solution that, that we uh, address. So can you tell us a bit more about the, the, the market that you guys are in? Uh, what's the size of the addressable market, I would say? Uh, and how do you position yourself regarding that, uh, that market? I mean, what's, uh, what's, uh, what are the, the steps to, uh, to go full steam in that market? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I mean, I don't think I have to go into too much depth about uh, the battery market. Uh, it seems like on a weekly basis, we're seeing a new Gigafactory pop up on the map. Um, you know, just here in the U.S., you know, we're well on pace to hit a terawatt hour of uh, battery production capacity by the end of the decade. Um, and it, with that, we also have all these new specialty battery manufacturers popping up. Um, things like uh, agricultural monitoring, uh, high en energy density drones, uh, and, and those kind of more niche applications. Uh, so our material that we can make is... Uh, perfectly suited for these high energy density, high power output applications. And so that's kind of an, an initial beachhead market for us, uh, satisfying uh, these uh, kind of specialty requirements. Uh, and then later moving on to either uh, to, to mass production um, for uh, 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 bigger applications like potentially uh, EVs and grid storage. Mm -hmm. And do you guys plan to, uh, uh, while going to market, like to um, uh, license or uh, your, your solution or to go for like the, the, the full production yourself? Like, I mean, you know, what is the, the, the road uh, in itself? Are you licensing to a battery yes. manufacturing uh, sure. company? Sure. So the, um, the initial uh, market entry uh, and way to prove the, the viability of our materials is direct sales to uh, cell manufacturers. Uh, and then um, once we've proved out uh, this new manufacturing technology to make these very, uh, very high performance materials, uh, we will then pursue uh, later licensing routes to uh, these larger chemical and battery manufacturers uh, as they look to build and scale their facilities. Mm -hmm. And do you have like uh, I mean competitors, uh, direct competitors, or other solution that uh, in a way are used today and that you will need to push out to uh, to insert yours? Or tell us a bit more about like the the, the market dynamic that you're evolving on right now. Sure. The um, so the vast majority of cathode manufacturers um, uh, use this old co precipitation method, uh, which has all these, uh, all these steps, each are energy intensive, uh, generate large amounts of wastewater. Um, and that is something that we do not have a problem with in, in our process. Um, additionally, uh, uh, every other uh, manufacturing technology out there needs these secondary 
coding and passivation steps, which is something that we can do in the same processing steps. So that is uh, the unique advantage and, and value that our method uh, delivers. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a bit more about this, uh, this journey that you had so far? I mean, you mentioned that uh, you came out of the Princeton labs of one of the labs there. Um, I guess like uh, your idea of joining uh, the CleanTech Open was uh, probably to help you to accelerate or get uh, maybe mentoring or what was the initial challenges that, uh, that you were facing uh, in your journey? And thanks to the, the, this experience that you had now, uh, you were able to uh, overcome. You can share well, it uh, with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, Beth phrased it well, where it was almost like a mini MBA program. Uh, our, our core team are all engineers and scientists. Uh, so we're very good at developing technologies. Um, but we had a lot of learning to do on how to develop these technologies with a specific customer pain point in mind. So it really helped, uh, helped us deliver our develop our value proposition, uh, hone and focus our development efforts on specific customer pain points, and really uh, target um, end use markets that meet our, our kind of minimum viable product uh, that we are delivering right now. And do you have in terms of uh, now like the, the this sales part of it, like do you start to have like, a, you know, a letter of intention, first like order maybe or is really like a, you're still like, uh, you know, finalizing everything with, uh, with the manufacturers. Yeah. So we have a, an active uh, collaboration and strategic partnership with a um, internet of things uh, cell producer. Uh, so we will be uh, delivering our material to them for their application uh, for things like um, uh, agricultural monitoring. Uh, and we've uh, additionally um, have uh, started additional strategic partnerships uh, with other specialty uh, high-performance cell uh, manufacturers. And we have received uh, some letters of interest for our technology from larger uh, uh, chemical and uh, battery ma manufacturers um, who are interested in developing the technology and incorporating it into their ecosystem. So what's next for Itnano, Ian? Scaling, uh, scaling the process, scaling production, scaling staff, uh, adding some additional business and operation expertise, uh, bring some additional hands on board to help with the development uh, efforts. Uh, you know, right now we are large lab scale pre-pilot. So uh, we'll be, uh, we just started our, a funding round and uh, are looking to uh, close that in the next uh, half year to bring in some funds so that we can build the pilot, uh, be able to deliver you know, tons per year, show the vi viability of the process, and then deliver material for uh, partners to uh, test or incorporate into their, their manufacturing lines. So how can the community of uh, listeners, investors, founders, experts, listening to the, the show today can help you? Well, uh, we're always looking for contacts and collaborators. Uh, so, you know, if you're uh, a battery company out there looking for a high energy density or high power output cathode, you know, let us know. If you're uh, a, large, uh, a, a large chemical manufacturer uh, or investor looking to support 
um, advanced uh, manufacturing technologies uh, for making these uh, advanced materials that are going to power next generation clean tech solutions. You know, give us a give us a call if you're an uh, academic or national lab looking to develop and commercialize next next generation energy storage materials. You know, we'd be happy to talk and work with you. Thank you so much, Jan. Very exciting uh, to hear. I mean, I'm super excited to, to hear all of this, uh, this progress uh, on what you guys are doing. Uh, thank you for sharing that uh, with us today and good luck for the, for the next steps. Uh, now I'm going to invite, uh, you're welcome. Now I'm going to invite uh, Bodan uh, with Cassava uh, to join uh, the quick pitch. Yes, hello. My name is Bogdan Radeko. I'm CEO of Cassava Engineering. And we work on transmissions, meaning gearboxes. Uh, most people think of reducing greenhouse gases by uh, reducing or making a cleaner engine. No one, nobody thinks about transmission. The gearbox is necessary to move anything on land and sea. So we have worked out a solution where we took all the bits and pieces of a conventional transmissions that usually break down or are inefficient and came up with a very compact uh, mechanical, what we call a mechanical variable transmission. Um, large vehicles and locomotives and harbor vessels especially need to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. And today's uh, electric and fuel technology is not economically viable for these uh, large vehicles and vessels. So existing transmission solutions are also very big and inefficient because they need to handle a lot of torque, but it's old technology is still there. There hasn't been a push to make them more efficient. So Cassava's transmission solution, we enable a smaller engine to perform the same task as a large engine because we can multiply the torque that it produces early and uh, allow it to do so more efficiently. That reduces greenhouse gas emissions today with using a smaller engine, be it diesel or, or petrol or whatever. Um, in the future, when energy density in battery technology increases, uh, we can use our technology and enable smaller electric or other clean fuel motor solutions to also have energy efficiency in the future because that Today's uh, electric motor, uh, especially in transportation, using only one gear is clearly inefficient. And we have a transmission that can make them work really well. So thank you so much. I didn't uh, even have the, the, the need to ask you a 30 second intro. You, you started directly, so uh, thank you. Thank you. But, uh, so maybe I'd like to take a, a little step back here uh, and kind of understand if you could share a bit like, how did you jump into that, uh, you know, that, that journey? Like what was this uh, initial gap that, uh, that you saw and uh, in a way, what, uh, what, made you or gave you an edge to be uh, the one producing uh, producing this new uh, transmission? Uh, well, it, know, it's actually a long journey and it started out in Ukraine uh, with the, our uh, chief engineers. Uh, they used to work on uh, big uh, off-highway uh, vehicles and produced uh, and designed transmissions for them. Uh, they uh, 
later left these companies and came to, to me and my partner. And we had some good traction and big interest in Ukraine in, in this large sector, especially with locomotives. Um, then COVID came and then the war came and we had to really abandon the, all the stuff we had there and uh, take the hard drives and the know-how. And now they are in Germany. We managed to get them out in time. Uh, we have still one engineer left in, in Kharkiv. Um, we have been able to communicate easily until recently when, uh, when electricity has become a, a huge problem. So we hope to get him out soon as well. Um, I myself and on the US side, the management, uh, I used to travel back and forth a lot in the past 20 years. Um, but uh, doing other things as well, of course. But uh, now here in the US, uh, and we're looking for sort of a way to restart again. And um, that's, that's our challenge. But uh, thank you for, for sharing this, uh, this uh, amazing, uh, I would say, roller coaster journey, which is uh, the case for many founders. But it sounds that yours are uh, definitely like a uh, a different uh, magnitude of it. So congrats on like uh, keeping, uh, you know, uh, believing and, and pushing on what you do. So I, I like to, to to understand a little bit more about like uh, now this technology that uh, that you uh, developed there. Like, uh, where are you in terms of uh, commercialization, and what is the path uh, for for that as well? Yes, as I said, this solution is completely mechanical. And mm -hmm. so it does not have any of the energy sapping hydraulics or things that wear out uh, like clutch disks and uh, dog clutches and synchronizers. We, we have found a way to do it in a way that is, doesn't wear down the moving parts uh, very much. Uh, in terms of where we are in, uh, in this uh, TLR, we, we have a close cooperation with a locomotive refurbisher, and we expect to complete the first two pilots of 80-ton locomotives that are used in rail yards. In America, they're called switchers. They move wagons and cars back and forth, so there's a lot of stop and go. And it's exactly at that slow speed that so much uh, fuel is spent with very little efficiency. To you know what what stays what is at rest wants to stay at rest. What is in motion wants to stay in motion. So getting it over from staying to moving needs a lot of energy. And what we can do is we can multiply the torque or the push that that the motors produce at very low RPM, and therefore we can use a smaller one. But in terms of uh, where we see the future, we, we have a good traction with a uh, locomotive refurbisher in, in Europe. Uh, and we have, as I said, the goal is to finish two full-scale pilots of 80-ton locomotives um, by early summer. And then after that, we will scale up with uh, this manufacturer or refurbisher. We're also looking mm -hmm. for similar uh, opportunities here in the US and especially in terms of uh, harbors uh, where you have tugboats, 
We have also locomotives. We have diesel operated cranes, and we have interest there to to turn convert that into electric uh, electric uh, cranes. So, last last question on, on my side before um, you know sharing your uh, your experience during this uh, you know fintech open uh, uh, journey. Uh, how defensible is uh, your technology? I mean, did you uh, patent it? Do you uh, really is it based on the know-how of uh, of your team? I mean, uh, who is like uh, in 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 the market right now delivering like similar? Uh, process uh, that could be in a way a threat for you or maybe a partner to work with in the in the future yeah well um, in terms of patents um, everyone who scratches their head when I say well we, we filed a patent in Ukraine uh, because we were in Ukraine and that was before the the war um, so we are about to file a second patent um, this month. And uh, we are now working with the U.S. Uh, patent office to uh, file the patents here in the U.S. as well as in Europe. So we're a little bit behind on the on the patent track. We want to accelerate that as much as we can. Um, in terms of uh, the defensibility, um, yes, we know you know anything mechanical. Uh, can eventually be uh, copied, uh, but we we want to be in an in area that is sort of marginal to the to the big manufacturers, uh, at least at start, till we have enough demonstration projects. And at that point, you know, we're looking for partners, maybe some of the big uh, gearbox manufacturers, uh, licensed the technology. We're absolutely, you know not saying, oh, we're going to conquer the world. No, we want to have some of the big guys on our side eventually, but not before we have showed them and proven that uh, this is far superior to what they have today. So what was the, the challenges that you were, you were facing? And I, I'm sure many of them, maybe you can just take, a, you know, uh, one or the two uh, uh, key um, experiences and the, in a way like uh, uh, that helped you uh, during this uh, this journey with Kintech uh, Open that really helped you to, to go to the next step now with uh, with uh, with the company? Yeah, uh, I, I would say I, it's similar to what uh, Ian at Hitmano talked about. Um, most of us are engineers and very excited about our technology. Uh, luckily, we have also uh, a couple of people that understand that we need to look elsewhere. And with all this uh, relocation, um, we came up with uh, or learned about uh, CleanTech Open. And I think it has been a huge help for us uh, for all the reasons mentioned by the, the other uh, companies here. It helps us focus. It's a mini MBA. I like that term. It really, truly felt like that. My my summer, I, this summer, I went to school. <laughs> you could say, <laughs> um, but um, no, it's it helped us focus, and it sort of um, helped us become more refined and understand where is our realistic uh, beachhead market, and. Where do we want to go after that? Because 
very often you, you have the technology and you see, oh, I can use it there, 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 and there. And then you lose focus. But Clean Tech Open has really helped to sort of narrow down and defend, you know, they, you know like, like uh, John said, the mentors, they help you come up with reasons why you defend, why am I doing this? And usually, you know, we don't, we think, why are we doing this in technology sense, but not in a way, why are we doing it to get to the market or defend why we're doing it so that the market will see, see it for their needs. So what's next for Kesava? What's next? Well, um, we are um, looking for partners. I mean, we want to uh, have good, reliable partners. We don't want to scale up too quickly, uh, but we want to have partners we can work with uh, on a you know, medium to long term. And because we feel we need to be at that level before we get, you know, turn to potential investors. We don't, we don't want those investors to eat our lunch now. <laughs> they can come later when, we, when you're better established. So would you define the, the, the ideal partner that you're looking at? It would be um, refurbisher of locomotives or um, um, shipyard uh, company that needs to uh, improve the efficiency and reduce the greenhouse gases of uh, their clients' uh, vessels, mm -hmm. where we can produce uh, you know, a low number, 10, 50, 100 units uh, over, a, over a five year period and work with them because often you need a bespoke solution to some of these uh, refurbishment requirements in order to efficiently reduce greenhouse gases. You don't throw out the chassis of a, of a locomotive. It lasts for 40, 50 years. The same thing with mm -hmm. the hull of a boat. But to fit new technology in, you need to think and you need to work and you have to have really good partners uh, that are in that uh, sector. Thank you so much, uh, Bodan. Uh, very excited to, to, to hear with what you guys are doing in this whole journey that uh, you went through so far. So uh, any question that I should, I should have asked that I uh, didn't for this? Uh, no, I, part of? I uh, you know, I'm just waiting for uh, fuel, uh, fuel cell technology and uh, battery energy uh, intensity density to increase so I can not talk about piston engines, but show how it can work for big vehicles uh, using smaller electric motors and therefore address energy efficiency in the future. Okay, but so the, the, the call is out there. So thank you so much, uh, uh, but and it was a, a very, uh, very interesting. So let's uh, now let's go with, um, with uh, Skylar and, uh, and Verde for the, the last uh, quick pitch. Wonderful, thank you so much. Um, so my name is Skylar Bagdon and I'm the CEO of Verde Technologies. So we're producing lightweight, flexible solar panels for the rooftop solar market. Now our panels can meet or beat the efficiency and cost of traditional rigid panels, but in a form factor that is 10 times lighter 
uh, and much less costly to install. So there are millions of rooftops in the United States and around the world that can't go solar right now because of the cost and complexity of installation. So installing the panels on a roof is like 70% of the cost of actually going solar today. It's because you have to puncture the roof, you have to put steel and sometimes concrete ballast systems up there to hold the panels. So what Verde is trying to do is dramatically reduce the cost of solar by adhering our flexible panels directly to roof surfaces um, and doing that even on roofs that couldn't take traditional rigid mounting technology um, today. So we are uh, supported by the Department of Energy, the National Science Foundation, the U.S. Solar Energy Technologies Office, National Renewable Energy Lab, the list goes, goes on and on. And, and with those kind of high-powered partners, um, we see a pathway using what we call perovskite solar technology. That's the name of our technology towards solar that is fundamentally higher performing. So we're shooting for 28% efficiency on our cells um, and also lower cost. Now, obviously, that is a huge undertaking to take a large entrenched market like solar and try to beat directly on cost and efficiency. Um, and that's why we're entering the rooftop market initially differentiating on lightweight form factor as we work to reduce cost, refine our technology, and eventually lower the cost of solar energy for, for everyone. So can you tell us a bit more like uh, how did you uh, how did you start uh, the, that journey in the, in the company? Like uh, uh, who is around you to uh, to build this uh, those prototype that you just show us now? Uh, tell us a bit more about this uh, initial uh, you know journey that you had. Yeah, totally. So there are kind of two paths that uh, that led to Verde. Um, and one of them is my path, and one of them is the path of the researchers behind the technology. So originally, the technology was developed at the University of Vermont um, by the chair of our physics department, Dr. Randall Hedrick, who worked at Bell Labs previously, where the first solar panels were created. Um, and at the university, they developed some unique processes around manufacturing of thin films um, and realized that they could produce not only really high quality cells at the lab scale, but that they could produce them using techniques that were highly scalable. So you see all of these articles about some breakthrough technology that they've created in the lab, but the question is always, can it scale? So what was unique about this technology was that it worked at the lab scale, but could also be scaled using existing printing and coding infrastructure. So we can literally use factories that are printing newspapers today, and we can print solar panels um, on that infrastructure. And, uh, and so the technology was developed, but the researchers got to the point of saying like, okay, what do we really do with this? Now, I um, dropped out of school many years ago to do a startup in the energy space. Uh, so it was very much focused on technology-based entrepreneurship. Um, and I met these researchers through my work in technology commercialization at the university, realized this was going to change the world. Um, and so we joined forces. Uh, so me on the business side and researchers at the university on the technology side. So it sounds very exciting about what you uh, described. Maybe we can go a little bit more into the, the, the production process, like uh, tell us a bit more how it works. I mean, you mentioned that, uh, uh, you know, using the same machinery that um, we do for, uh, you know, printing newspaper, which is probably not uh, something really uh, uh, in vogue anymore uh, in, in a trend of printing newspapers. So probably your application uh, will help them a lot, but tell us a bit more how it works and what is required in terms of change and, uh, and necessity because we all know that uh, most of the the solar panels are uh, built and produced in, uh, in in China, more than eighty percent, I think, of the old production. So, um, how do you guys bring back to America? I mean, it's uh, it's a big topic there. 
Yeah, it's a super hot button topic. And so what's done overseas in China is very high temperature manufacturing processes. So it emits a lot of greenhouse gas emissions to refine traditional silicon solar technologies. Um, what we're doing in the United States is low temperature manufacturing processes called roll to roll manufacturing. So we take a roll of a flexible substrate we run it through machinery and we deposit liquid layers. So we stack four layers on top of each other of different kinds of inks and allow those to dry. And what roll to roll means is that you have one roll of flexible substrate, you run that through and you print material on top of it and it automatically rolls up into another roll at the end of the production line. Um, and so what that allows you to do is it allows you to get very high throughput manufacturing with very little labor required. So the costs are really low. You're able to do it at low temperatures um, and at low cost. And so facilities um, that do this now, there are around 100 of them in the United States that do roll-to-roll -roll coding. They do it for all kinds of applications, like I said, printing of newspapers, but printing of adhesives um, and beer labels is actually one of the products one of our partners um, has made, as well as a number of emerging membrane applications um, and you know other thin film applications. So it's the engineering processes um, well-established or the manufacturing process is well-established. And now what our team is doing is trying to map our solar technology to meet the infrastructure that exists. So we don't have to build hundreds of millions of dollars worth of new factories to reach scale. So that's where you're at uh, today. I mean, I saw the, the, the prototype that you have here. Um, it's really like the, the, the focus uh, for you guys is it really like to uh, adapt these production uh, assets uh, or do you have other uh, things that you guys are working on in terms of like maybe increasing efficiency? Uh, you were mentioning 28%. That's uh, the goal that you guys are, are looking at. Uh, tell us a bit more like where are you at uh, today uh, before I would say scale and, and commercialization? Yeah, so we are an early stage company and it's important to be, uh, you know, to be upfront about that. We have big goals for the future. We have a lot of backing and support from, you know, world leaders and experts in the space, but we are an early stage company. So we're in the process of trying to transition from, you know, centimeter scale in the lab onto full scale equipment. So we're all in that process right now. It's definitely not a solved challenge, but it's what we're working on. Um, and where we are now in the process is the problem with perovskites. There are a few problems. And the main one has been stability and longevity. Um, and so that has been our primary focus in development is scalability of the manufacturing and also stability um, and durability. And so I'm not sure how much of it I can share publicly, but I'm happy to announce we have some um, you know, really promising data on stability and lifetimes um, that show it in the range of being commercially viable, uh, which is hugely kind of revolutionary in this in this space that we have stable cells that the manufacturing can be scaled for and now we're trying to uh, you know demonstrate that in full-scale equipment um, and our objective is to have our first pilot project completed within the next 24 months to get panels outside into the real world mm -hmm. and how do you uh maybe that's a you know a, i would say like a beginner question but how do you stabilize them and keep them on, onto the roof i mean if they're so thin like do you need like special equipment i mean it's clearly lighter so uh I guess very good for a lot of like uh, uh, roof surfaces, but uh, when there's a lot of uh, uh, wind and uh, and so on, like uh, are you able to to keep them there? Yeah, so we're actually we're focusing specifically on rubber membrane roof surfaces okay. and metal roofs initially because um, they're easier to adhere to, and there are a number of different adhesives that we can use to apply directly to the roof surface. 
And what ends up being a big benefit of mounting that way is there's no lips or edges for the wind to get underneath the way there is with a traditional panel. Um, so they actually hold up much better in severe weather and they're much less likely to fly off and create damage and hurt people um, because there's no, there's no way for the air to get underneath them. Um, and, uh, and we have a number of kind of flexible, durable encapsulation technologies developed by 3M and Mitsubishi and a couple of other companies um, that we use to encapsulate ourselves so they're durable to rain, hail, um, impact. And of course, there's always catastrophic events, a tree falling through the house that's going to break the panels regardless. Um, but, uh, but luckily, we have some technologies that, uh, that make us pretty resilient to general weather and, and you know, damage. So so stepping back in terms of the, the the competition and the you know with the defensibility of uh, of your solution, like I mean, who who is a uh, also you know I guess you're not the only one uh, in the in the market right now trying to find and, and develop this kind of solution. How far are they compared to you guys? Uh, who uh, maybe are they like potential like uh, collaborator in the in the future? Um, and how do you you know defense your, uh, your your initial you know technology that you have there to make sure that. Uh, you can take the part, of the the piece of the of the pie or the, the market share that uh, you guys are looking at. Totally, yeah. So one of our main kind of differentiators is most of our competitors are focusing on commercializing new technologies in the traditional rigid module format, which means that basically they have to win on cost and efficiency from day one or nobody's interested in them because it looks the same as every other rigid panel. So one of our main differentiators is focusing on the inherent benefits of a flexible form factor. Um, and there are lots of other flexible technologies, but they were generally very high cost and very low efficiency. So we're able to compete really favorably with other thin film technologies that are on the market as we work to increase our economies of scale um, and compete directly um, head on in terms of cost. And um, mm -hmm. we have multiple patents um, that we've developed in-house, um, that our company has developed in-house on the scalability of manufacturing. And then we have um, an exclusive license with the National Renewable Energy Lab um, on technologies that relate to stability um, and safety. And so we do have you know, a good intellectual property defensibility, um, but also I think a, a business strategy that allows us to compare favorably in our initial product offering in the flexible space um, and allows us to get a toehold in the market and allows us to get the funding we need um, to scale up manufacturing. And um, I'll also say the Inflation Reduction Act um, and a lot of the benefits for domestic manufacturing give us a huge competitive advantage um, for versus any kind of um, foreign companies in terms of importing. So that's also a huge uh, competitive advantage is where we're where we're located and our focus on domestic manufacturing. So if you can uh, tell us uh, and maybe share with uh, with the audience, like uh, you know, prior the the program, what was the maybe one or two challenges that you you were facing, and uh, what uh, you know how the program in a way uh, helped you to to go through it and uh, and 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 you know learn from it and uh, and be a, a better version of uh, of yourself today. Yeah, so I'll first start out by saying the Clean Tech Open was just an immensely helpful program. So doing something of the magnitude that we're trying to do here, like creating an inherently better solar technology is a huge undertaking. Um, and, it, and it just, it requires partners that have expertise in developing in fundamental science, as well as scalability of manufacturing, as well as deployment of solar on the large scale, private and public fundraising. And sometimes it's hard to build a team of people um, and surround yourself with a group that has that diverse um, uh, uh, you know, of a, 
of background and, and areas of expertise. And that's what the Cleantech Open did for us, was it pulled together a collection of mentors, advisors, partners um, that could help us build the technology, the business, the team, and then help to communicate that. Um, and one of the most challenging things I think is that we are a very deep tech company um, that's trying to overcome challenges in fundamental science, but we're also trying to build products. So we're doing basically the job of a startup and the job of a research team simultaneously. Um, and that's really challenging. And I think the hardest part is to be authentic about communicating what the risks are, but also be authentic about communicating why the data is promising um, and why the impact is so huge that it's worth taking the risk. Um, I would say that's the hardest thing for an early stage tech company. And I think one of the things that the clean tech open is, has helped us do better. So what's next for Verde? So this is an incredibly exciting time uh, for us. So we are, we're raising our first pre-seed um, financing round as we speak, um, we're raising around $3 million. We have about a million of it committed right now, um, really focused on deep tech, climate focused investment investors um, that have some knowledge and expertise in the space so they can bring more than just just capital, because we need a lot more than money uh, to make this work. We need people that have um, deep industry expertise um, or technological expertise. We're also actively hiring right now. So we're hiring, if any, anybody has experience in thin film solar development or perovskite solar development, we're actively hiring. So please, um, please reach out. We're expanding the team all the time. We're up here in beautiful Burlington, Vermont. You'll love the hiking. It's wonderful. Um, and we're also forming additional industry and research collaborations with, um, with established companies in the, in the solar space, um, as well as research labs and facilities um, around the world. So if you're a company looking to break into the thin film solar space, you're already in the solar space or you're doing research there, uh, we're, we're very collaborative um, and would love to work together, so. Anything else that I should have uh, asked you that I didn't for this uh, uh, session? Anything to ask me that, that, I, that I shouldn't? Maybe one thing is, um, Beth mentioned earlier, like, before we got on the call that that I'm generally a very energetic person. Um, and, and I think that that's true. And, and I think that that's true because I believe that the work that I'm doing every day genuinely will have a, a massive impact um, on, on the fight against climate change. Um, and I think we're, we're at a moment in time where we have to realize that it's possible um, to bring new technologies to market. It's, it's challenging and it's not straightforward. And there are questions that still need to be answered. Like there are lots of things, but it is possible. Um, and it's possible to do it on a timeline where we can have a real meaningful impact um, on climate change. That's what everybody here is doing. Um, and I think that that's something to get excited about and a reason to be uh, a little a little giddy and energetic at times, because um, we really have the opportunity to make a difference here. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Skylar. And thank you so much, Beth, uh, and everybody for your time and, uh, you know, all of those uh, very exciting projects uh, that uh, you are working on and this incredible journey that you, you already did. So uh, we're very excited to, to see how we can uh, keep, uh, you know, uh, supporting you as well in, in the future, uh, giving you the voice and uh, and maybe a connection that uh, you would be interested in. Uh, so thank you so much for putting uh, uh, all of those efforts to move uh, the ball towards a better and, uh, and clearer world. Uh, so thanks for coming. Thank you so yeah. much. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much, Guillaume. Thank you. You're Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. 
Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupdscamp.org to discover more episodes like this one. And get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.